Welcome to the Women of Wild podcast, where we explore what it means to be a woman. We will be discussing real life challenges from being a daughter, a wife, a mother, a single mom, and beyond. We're two friends living very different lives. One is married with all girls. The other is divorced with all boys. We're perfect bookends to speak from opposite perspectives on all the things. Our mission is to search out the heart of a woman and to pour into you wherever you are with real life wisdom, actionable steps, and application of the topics we discuss to continue our self-development into a wild woman. That is a woman of wisdom, impact, love, and dignity. So let's go. Welcome to the second episode in the communication series. Today we are discussing having the impact you desire in communication, which begins with the understanding that we have more power to influence the outcome than we think. And why is this important? Because 80% of our day is spent in some form of communication. The words we use to communicate with each other and the words we silently say to ourselves will have an impact. It's just a matter of what impact they will have. How to communicate with impact. This is a question we're attempting to answer today. We'll share stories of how we've been impacted by effective communication from others. We'll also discuss how we've learned to listen with intention to our own internal dialogue and make effective changes to have the impact we actually desire within ourselves. The first question that comes to my mind is what kind of impact do I really want to make? And I might know the right answer, As far as I want to do what's best for that person, I want to communicate love, acceptance, value. I want to impact people in those ways. But a lot of times my deeper motive is just to change behavior or to get the outcome that I want. And so I really need to take a minute to think about the impact I want to make and how I can do that in the best ways. And I I think about ways that I've tried to impact people in the past and still do sometimes, but through manipulation, control, guilt trips, fear, those, those types of impact are, they're selfish. They're coming from just trying to get my way. And so part of just my growth journey is trying to learn not to use those ways of impact and to try to impact people for the best for them and the best for me. It's not best for me to try to control other people through my own selfish motives. Well, don't you think that that's like the difference between allowing yourself to go into a default mode, which is selfish. So default mode is all about self and all about protecting and getting what we want and that sort of thing. But then the difference between like default mode would be intentional. And then we can stop being manipulative and we can stop just trying to stop what's uncomfortable for me in the moment and just make that child behave. (laughs) You know, it could be more about the child and about that, you know, or about that other person having a moment to, to themselves or being there for that other person. I think, yeah, default mode versus intention or what you had was intention versus reactive which I think is a reactive would be our default. Right. And I think wanting, especially in parenting, for example, we want to work on our kids' hearts, help them 
desire to do the right things for themselves, not just because we're forcing them to as parents. The goal is for them to want to do what's right, what's best for them, what's best for other people. And if I'm not modeling that in my own life, if I'm just trying to change behavior, then I'm just teaching them to try to change behavior. And we're all still kind of empty on the inside. It's not, whether it's good behavior, bad behavior, we're not changing what's in our, in our inside, which is really what trans, transforms us. The character building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going after the character rather than the behavior. So the behavior is the result of the character that's being built or needs to be built. The, uh, I think it's Jordan Peterson that talks about you have to get your child domesticated before they are four years old or their peers will begin to reject them. <laughs> domesticated. That just makes me laugh. But that makes think of a story that's really perfect that leads in. And I think a a parent-child, that relationship is a great study for communication because your heart's involved, which can be a conflict for you to see clearly. Um, And it's, it's so hard as a parent to get past what you want for that child rather than what the child needs in the moment. So I have a story that I... I'm not sure if I've told my kids yet. So if they don't ever listen to this, I'll be really fine with that. But when I was in the third grade, I I was I was just a really expressive person. <laughs> and writing actually started showing up pretty early um, as a desire of mine, a, a, something that I loved and enjoyed doing. And I wrote a poem in the third grade. And we were sitting in this horseshoe kind of shape where all the desks were in like a horseshoe. And my teacher was standing at the front and my poem got passed around the whole classroom all the way down the horseshoe shape of all the desks. One of my friends got it, started cracking up because it was a poem with every bad word I could think of as a third grader and I made it rhyme (laughs) with other things. And even if I do say so myself, it was quite clever, but it was foul. And the teacher caught it and picked it up. My heart dropped. I was like, I'm going to die. The teacher at that time was so clever, said, I want you to take this actual poem home, have your mom sign this poem and bring it back to me. (gasps) But my mom was so clever when she came home. And this was not exactly like my mom's style. I left the poem on the table and it had a little handwritten note from my teacher that she was supposed to sign it and send it back. And that this was disrupting the classroom. (laughs) And I just left it on the table where she would always sit in the evening. And she never said a word. So I knew that she had gotten it and she read it. She never said a word. She was kind of quiet and distance. She made dinner. We had dinner. She told me to go take a shower. She was a lot less talkative. I had no idea what she was thinking. I I just kept waiting at any moment. I was going to get a beat down. Never been spanked in my life. My mom did not believe in spanking. And, but Now I thought I was going to push her to change her beliefs. And so the next day, I'm getting ready to go to school. She slides the paper with her signature across the table. And the only thing she said to me was, Debbie, don't ever write anything down that you are not willing to take to your grave. And that was the only thing she said to me. I will never forget that. And in an age where everything is written and public, (laughs) 
I wish my mom could teach that lesson to everyone in as an impactful way as that. <laughs> Be careful what you write down because it's one thing to say it and you can't take it back. But when you write it down, it's memorialized for many, many people to read. And it kind of says who you are. That kind of brings up the the teacher, speaker, coach, and author that I came across when we were doing research for this episode. Um, and he actually did a book called Communicating with Impact, and which is exactly the name of our episode here. And his name is Patrick Donatio. And we'll put in the show notes his link to his, probably his YouTube channel, because he goes into great detail on how he breaks this down. And he uses the he uses the word impact as an acronym for intention, message, person, activate, clarity, and transform. And I think my mom must have taught him all of those things <laughs> with mm-hmm. that one lesson about how to take full intention and what impact she wanted to have on me. What did she want me to take away from this? And instead of being embarrassed that I got in trouble or just trying to go after the behavior, she really wanted me to have a long-lasting, transformative lesson to take away from it. The impact of time and waiting and wondering and getting you thinking about everything was probably had s- such a greater impact. Yeah, I don't remember feeling the relief in the moment that she gave me the note, and I, you know, I kind of realized that I wasn't going to get a beat down at that point. But <laughs> I don't remember the relief. I only remember thinking this could be the end for me (laughs) (laughs) in my third grade mindset, you know? So yeah, that was impactful. She let me sit in that terribly uncomfortable position all night long. And that's not easy to do. I like to have everything resolved. And so that, that would be hard for me, but really good way to, to parent and to have, you know, make a greater impact is just allowing that time to pass. She had to have been uncomfortable with it too. I imagine as a mom, I know that she doesn't have an instinct to make me suffer. And there was a little bit of suffering involved in that. And I know a part of her probably wanted to stop me from suffering, but it was more important that I suffer in that moment. I I feel it and I be uncomfortable. She knew who she was dealing with, her daughter, and had clarity and it really was transformative. I I think it's a great example. And taking into consideration who you're dealing with, and that's the the P part of impact as person and making it a personal message, Um, you know, just knowing who you're dealing with. And she she did. She knew that I was thick-headed and I was a wild one. And taming me was not textbook. She couldn't use textbook techniques with me. Um, and I, and, you know, even by the third grade, she knew that she was going to have her hands full with me and she did. It was, that was one of many (laughs) she did, but, but she knew how to keep her cool. You know, she could have come unglued on me and just screamed and yelled. And there were so many different ways that she could have responded. And I think that's where we get really messed up with parenting too, is that we really think that we're going to do tremendous damage to our children by allowing the uncomfortable or allowing the suffering. And, and we have to trust that that is part of how we grow. You know, remember what my coach says is that we don't grow when things are easy. Or, you know, we grow when there's 
friction and resistance. Yes, I agree. And it's so hard to watch them suffer and struggle. And everything in me wants to relieve that for them. And I think teaching our kids how to handle struggle and suffering, thats it's not whether they're going to or saving them from all of it. It's giving them the tools they need to get through it, get to the other side. We've been on earth long enough. You and I have been on earth long enough where we've had some really negative words spoken to us and it's had an impact because every spoken word has an impact of some kind. Yes. And words have a lot of power. And I don't think that's something we always think about when we just say things. I can think of a story when I was in middle school, probably sixth grade. I don't remember, but I had gone to a dance with some friends And I don't even know what song was playing, but I was dancing with my friends and some kid looked at me and he's like, are you dancing to the words or the music? Because it doesn't, I don't know, maybe I wasn't dancing very well to the beat. And that again has stuck with me. And I don't think I ever danced or wanted to dance after that even. And this just came to my memory a few years ago. And I was like, that impacted me. I was a bad dancer. And so that was just my, what I thought of myself from then on. And, you know, who knows? Maybe I was, maybe I could have learned if I had that, those words impacted me. I was, you know, 12. That's such a, an age where you're so vulnerable and so worried about what other people think of you, you know, and I think that's something to keep in mind when we're talking to kids of that age, we like to tease and stuff, but we got to be careful because those words can really have an impact and they'll take, we take those negative, anything negative to heart or the positive stuff we can kind of brush off, which is not helpful. Um, but it's just interesting. You know, I, I'd forgotten about that for years and I think I was doing, I guess, some work on myself. And for some reason that story came to my mind and I was like, that is probably why I never liked dancing or didn't think I was good was back from that time in middle school. That's an example of a negative, and it wasn't the worst thing that could have happened to me, but maybe I missed out on a lot of fun <laughs> that I could have had. Will you dance now? I still am not comfortable with it. And, I mean, if it's still a hang-up, you know that the best way to overcome something like that is by exposure therapy. Right. So is this the time where I challenge you to do an Instagram dance reel with me? Like, is this, is this the moment of reckoning? Would you agree to do that with me? Eventually, yes. I will. Model the behavior, Sally. You need to model the behavior. <laughs> I think we could do it. We'll pick an easy one. I shouldn't have told that story. Yes, you should have. That was perfect. It's <laughs> a perfect opportunity to say, hey, look, this is a moment of opportunity to grow. Be free. Let's just tell that guy what's up. We'll be like, Look at me now. <laughs> yeah, I um, I think I can relate to that a little bit about uh, the negative being spoken. I mean, that's that's what happens when we've got this buzzword that everybody talks about, the triggers, right? And so when somebody speaks something gnarly to us and it goes straight into a wound. So now if you had somebody say something about it, like just after that, again, they would be hitting a wound. It was like you had your first wound. 
it didn't heal. And if somebody were to say something about it again, you probably would, it, you would be triggered and have a response again. That's even exponentially worse. I had a situation like that and it came up in my coaching when I was being coached and I was explaining to my coach about this scene that played out where I got so triggered. I mean, red zone triggered. It was it was one of those moments where somebody was deliberately trying to hurt me and used words and accusations that went straight to the heart of my identity. And, um, and when I, w- I got so triggered and I'm telling my coach about this and my coach is like, why did that bother you when they said that? And I, I was like, D- are you not hearing me? They said X, Y, Z, which was, are you kidding me? I sacrificed everything for these people and then blah, blah, blah. And I- I'm going on and on. And she just keeps asking me over again, over and over again, why did that bother you? Why did it bother you when they made that accusation? Why did it bother you when they said those words or described you in that way? And so I just keep, I'm getting like, I'm, I'm having a full on reliving the moment, red zone trigger reaction to her. And we're on Zoom and I'm spitting mad and I'm yelling at her like, you're not listening to me. Listen what they said about me. I, are you kidding me? I wanted to freaking kill them, you know? <laughs> And she just asked again, I mean, I'm now, I mean, I think I was spitting on the screen and she said, finally, again, she goes, was it true what they said about you? Was the accusation they said, was the description they made of you, was it true? And I just stopped. I mean, like my heart's pounding. I'm sweating. I'm angry as the devil. I wanted to come through the screen at her. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was triggered because of the fear that it might be true. And it was an accusation really of like my parenting skill and as a mom and, and to think somebody would criticize how I love my children. I mean, there is no greater way to get to my identity than to go after mommyhood. And in that moment, I thought, no, no, it's not true. I love my kids like ex like there's no limit. There's just no limit. And she goes, then why did it bother you? And I was like, oh my gosh. I just sat back and it just hit me. And I realized, wow, my trigger was because I thought it was true. Or it could be true. You know, and that so as far as like taking a negative word that's spoken to you, you get triggered and then having somebody just bring you to the brink of reliving that moment and like putting it right in your face going, you're not that person. So don't react. Oh my gosh. Changed my life. Changed my life. It's not that I don't care what other people think, but I care about the truth. And if I really care about the truth and, but when you're 12 and you're dancing, you don't know you're creating your identity at that point. And that's why I think it's just so easy for people to write on the, the, the script of who you are and why it impacts so much in that moment. We're very malleable at that age. I think that's right. It's a maturity thing at that point when you can let go 
of trying to control what other people believe or think or their opinions, that's not a matter of you putting up a guard on your heart and not letting anybody in. That's literally a maturity mindset of, no, I I don't control your brain, (laughs) but I do control mine. And you can think what you think and you can believe what you believe and you can have an opinion for whatever you want to have that opinion on. And I don't need to control that. And it's okay. And that is a, that was what transformed me is to realize that, that, you know, the idea that it could have been true that I was a bad mom or what was it more that I was afraid that people might actually believe that I was a bad mom, whether it was true or not. And that was the moment of freedom. It wasn't, I knew I was not a bad mom. I'm confident in my love for my children, but it was definitely that. That's the thing when we can let go of how other people think and let them have that. That's, that's theirs and we can influence it, but we can't control it. And it's empowering to let that go and just know you're doing the best you can and that you love your kids and they're going to see that. And that's all that matters. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's two modes that I could have operated in there too. Um, Like if I had not had that moment of reckoning with my coach and I just continued to operate in a mode of um, both fearing that I was not good enough, not a good enough mom, and two, that other people might not think that I'm a good enough mom, so I have to be showy about it and I'm going to prove myself. So it's you're in a constant state of striving which is not authentic at all. You know, I mean, if you really want to love your kids, it needs to be authentic for them, not for the show of others. Right. Right. So I think that moment in coaching, I mean, there were several moments when my coach had brought me to the brink of the breaking point. I I call it the breaking point where you break the lie off of you yourself and you enter into truth. But it was, it was like a, rebirth almost, you know, when, when you enter into that, because it was, it seems so simple when we talk about it now, like I should know that it's not a very complicated concept to think we shouldn't live for the opinions of others. Right. Yeah. We see those memes all the time. (laughs) We see them all the time. We can spin through our feed of all the wise sage advice of our memes. But when you actually live it out in a moment like that, you recognize it and see how it pulls power from you. And, and when you let go of it, yeah, empowering and freedom, the freedom that's in that, you're making it, you know, those people are free to have their opinions and I am free to just be over here and believe that I am a good enough mom and love them the way I love them, period. And she was wise to make you get in that state of frustration. Yeah, she needed to actually let me get triggered. She needed me to get to the red zone first. And and uh, I've, I've thought about that several times because now that I'm on the other side of the desk a lot and, you know, when we're coaching people that are about to experience and relive what might be considered a traumatic moment for them, communicating with them. So we're talking about communication with impact. So it's just like multi-layered here. So we're trying to communicate with our clients. They're about to relive a traumatic moment. We know that their body and their brain is going to go through it just like they're going through it for the first time. 
And we have to be willing and wise enough to discern what's going on with them and when to draw them back and when to help them regulate again, but then to find that moment of truth. And it is so uncomfortable sometimes because you have to dig deep into a dark pit of lies and you have to go there with them. And she had to be willing to go there with me, that dark pit of the lie. And she let it just get to that super red zone. That moment that I was reliving it was literally the moment that was like the pivotal time where I made a choice in that, in the real moment. And, and here she is like, okay, you're in here in that moment again, make a different choice. So she made me relive it into the moment of decision. And then she was like, make a different choice. What do you, how are you going to reframe this? How are you going to see this? I mean, it's super dynamic. And I don't, I don't think I could have done that on my own. There's just some things I've had to have a conversation with another human being to recognize, see, hear, get to the truth um, that I don't think I could have done that on my own. Sometimes we need an outside perspective because our own perspectives are so narrow and we can't always think outside the box or see or even be aware of, you know, maybe I think that's a little bit true. And then being able to un- think, wait a minute, no, it's not. I, I love my kids. We, we do need an outside perspective a lot of times to just help us think clearly and to point out lies we are believing. Yeah. When we believe the lie, we can't hear it because we believe it's true. So if I had been trying to do like my own self-coaching about that scene, I know that I would have been stuck in justification mode. I was justified to be that mad. I was justified to react the way I did. I was justified, justified, justified. And she pulled back the veil of justification doesn't serve you here. It's not serving you. You're just going to keep repeating this same cycle where you're chasing justice. And, you know, that's an uh, that's an episode that we've already talked about is going to be coming up. Um, and I mean, that's chasing justice and how often you know, justice is not going to be served just because that's what you're chasing. It's better to chase truth. But like you said, I just don't think, I I think I would have been free to believe what I was thinking. And I wouldn't have had another perspective. I wouldn't have had somebody to, to steer me a little bit into the light. I would have stayed stuck in, in my lie, the, the lie that I was telling myself in that moment. And those kind of lies, if you start believing that, you you become what you believe. You know, when we start thinking, I'm a bad mom, then we start just kind of living in that. We've got to, we've got to look at truth. We've got, not that, you know, we all can improve. We all struggle with parenting relationships, but we've got to be careful what we tell ourselves. I don't need to tell myself I'm a bad mom. I'm not a good enough parent. Those are thoughts that are really dangerous to have. Absolutely. Yeah, I had, uh, I was looking up somebody's name the other day. I was trying to make a recommendation of a a service provider. And um, my friend asked me for this person's name. I was like, oh gosh, I can't remember their name. Let me look them up real quick. And I said out, out loud, I was like, I am terrible at remembering names. And my friend that I was with said, of course you are, because you keep telling yourself that you're terrible at remembering names. You just told your brain what to believe. Now tell your brain something different. 
And I was like, what? I mean, it was so minor. So I was like, what do you mean? And he, he said, tell yourself that you are really good at remembering names. Tell your brain what you want to be real. And I was like, okay, who's coaching who? <laughs> He's not a coach. <laughs> but sometimes even all the training we've had, we'll find ourselves saying silly things like, I can't, I never could, I'm so bad at, I am, and then fill in the blank with any negative comment at all. We still say those things because they're so, and, and when we say them over and over and over again, our brain's like, okay, let's look for evidence that that's true. Let's look for evidence that that's true. And your brain will make it absolutely your truth. <laughs> so I keep saying, I'm really great at remembering names. I, I can do this. I remember names well. When I think about how our words can have a positive or negative impact on other people's lives, I recently went on this retreat in May, so it wasn't too long ago, and a friend of mine had set up to have some of my friends and family members write letters to me. And I got several letters, but there were three that really stood out to me. And they were from, one was from my daughter, Anna, my older daughter. One was from my husband. And another one was from my sister. And both of my sisters wrote me letters. But my my sister, Lena, who's the one in the middle, I'm the oldest, wrote me the sweetest letter. We've really grown in our relationship. And that, I guess the impact that has on me is how we can grow in our relationships with other people because, and they can heal and part of that was me becoming a healthier person. Most of that was me becoming a healthier person. I was, and hopefully this will encourage any of you who have kids that fight or siblings, but I was the meanest big sister until I was about a senior in high school and she was a freshman. So really for our entire childhood, I was really kind of mean or indifferent towards her. I don't know what my problem was, but... I was not, not a nice sister. My, our youngest sister was so much younger than me. She was nine years younger. We got along okay because she was like, we were so far apart. And when I was going through a difficult time in my marriage and realizing I don't know everything. And part of my problem with her is I just knew everything. I knew what was best for her. I knew what was best for everybody else other than myself. Oldest child syndrome. Yes, probably so. And so, and when my life was falling apart, I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't know everything. <laughs> it's it's not working for me. But that was a very um, eye-opening time for me. And I just apologized to her and began really to just love and accept her the way she was, which was fine, and learning to love and accept myself. And that that letter meant so much not because she said anything profound, but just that we have a good relationship now as 40-something old adults where, you know, I'm sure my parents thought they're never going to like each other. <laughs> and I'm just so grateful to have the relationship I do with both of my sisters today. And the same thing with my husband. You know, we we went from a point of really, I saw neither of us really saw any hope. And we were talking about divorce and how that was going to look. And God just did an, a work in me, which was, again, very humbling because 
I really thought he was the one with all the problems <laughs> and, and I needed a lot of healing. And the last thing I'll just say is we've talked a lot about just both of us going through a lot of healing over the years. But if you asked my husband what the greatest impact I had on his healing and recovery ever was, he would say that it was me learning to love and accept him just as he was and not hoping he would change or be different, but just loving him like that. And that took a lot of work. I could only do that after I was able to love and accept myself for who I was and value myself. And I think really, if we want to impact people, it's loving, accepting, valuing them and supporting them. Those are the things people are going to remember more than our words. People remember how we make them feel, not necessarily what we say. Once in a while, someone says something profound, but most of the time we remember if they do love and accept us. And we'll talk about love in the next episode. But, you know, that doesn't always mean, I don't mean love and acceptance of any kind of behavior, <laughs> but love and acceptance as a person. And I think that's where we can really have an impact on other people and really change their relationships around us. That's, I'm seeing that um, as kind of the, the overall thing that can really make an impact on my own life and other people around me. That is so, so good. It really is your starting point. So we talked about it being intentional, that that really is the way that we have the impact we want to have because we're going to have an impact and being intentional changes the course of how we're going to have that impact. And, you know, intentions start with our thoughts and our thoughts start with who we are. It's the origin of who we are. So if we are just terribly misaligned and unhappy with where we are in our own selves, it's going to be really hard to have a positive impact on others. Oh yeah. I think you nailed it to the wall right there is that having a growth mindset and self doing self-development, working on yourself. Uh, and that doesn't mean, you know, accepting doesn't mean this is how I'm going to be forever. Right. Accepting is this is where I am today, you know, and becoming who you want to be is a, is a journey and, and there's always something greater to learn and some better character to chisel out of ourselves. But getting that acceptance for yourself and that value for yourself was pivotal. There, there's just no way that you could have done that for Sean. No. Without having first done it for yourself to understand what that means and what that looks like. And for him to be able to articulate that to you, that's, that's life changing. I mean, that's a marriage saved. You're not a statistic. Right. And I think a lot of it had to do with, I couldn't look for those things from him only. If I was looking for him to love, accept, value um, me completely, he's always going to come up short. And it's only when I could accept those things from God that I had enough, that I have enough to overflow into an unhealthy person <laughs> and make an impact. But if an unhealthy person is trying to help an unhealthy person, that just doesn't work. We don't get better that way. But if we're working on ourselves, if I'm healthy, as healthy as I can be, I can always grow. But And I'm loving and accepting out of the overflow of my own love and acceptance. 
then I can make an impact. You can't give away what you don't have as hard as you try. You have to cultivate it in yourself. Oh, that's so good. Like, um, I, I know we got to wrap this up, but I'll just give you this last little image because what you're just talking about is being able to overflow. Have you seen that video where the guy does the example of being able to pour into others? So he has two glasses. One of them's half empty. The other one's full. And he pours mm -hmm. it into the other one. But now this one's half empty, you know? So he's like, if this is not how we pour into our friends and family and the people we love. He said, this is how it works. And he stacks the cups on top of each other where the top one, that's you getting your fill from God. And, and, and it's, you know, your cup is filling up and overflowing into the cup beneath you. It's not you pouring in, it's you overflowing. Oh, it's such a good video, but, and it's always like, you know, in the video, it's real philosophical. And so it doesn't, he doesn't really go into where does the third cup come from? The third cup comes from the one that never runs out. All right. We are about finished for today. So just to recap, we have to start with ourselves first. As we become healthier and full, we can overflow into others and make an impact. Proverbs 4.23 says, out of the mouth flows the issues of life. Right. And this helps us become intentional and being intentional helps us get out of our default mode which is about us and helps us become mindful about the influence we want to have on the outcome that we truly hope to have so keeping in mind what we want the end result to be and trying to influence it that way that's the intention so being intentional and it's important also that we allow the uncomfortable to happen, that we just lean into that really uncomfortable space and don't try to escape it too quickly because that's really where the growth happens in, in a tough conversation. Just getting uncomfortable, allowing other people to be uncomfortable and riding that wave. Great talk today. What do you think is your greatest takeaway from today, Sally? I really loved um, how your mom handled that poem situation. I just love that long pause she gave you to think about it. And I think that was really impactful. And I love what she said about never writing anything down that you're not willing to take to your grave. And I think those are good words, especially in the age of social media, which she wasn't even thinking of at that time. How about you? Um, I think what really is going to stick with me is what Sean shared with you is that the most healing part of his journey with you was when you were able to literally accept him right where he was. And I'm just thinking about my kiddos in that situation is the idea that I could give them a sense of truly just being accepted right where they are. I mean, that's a gift I want to be able to give them. And you just painted such a great picture with the exchange between you and your husband and saving your marriage through that, that just radical acceptance you know, and just letting them be where they are. And I mean, I believe that they're going to grow and I'm confident that they're going to find their way, but they are where they are right now and loving them right where they are. That's just beautiful. It's not always easy, but definitely the most impactful. And, and when you think about yourself, what did you want at that age or at any age? You know, we want to be loved for who we are. All right. All right. That's it for this time. For, we'll have... 
the uh, episode on love coming up. So next time, stay wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know what you liked and what your main takeaways were. We'd also love to know what topics you'd want to hear about on future episodes. To connect with us further on social media or to learn more about our services, click on the links in the show notes or email us at womenofwildpodcast at gmail.com. And if you know anyone that would benefit from hearing this episode, please share it. To continue the discussion about this episode, join us in our private Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. Until next week, stay wild. <laughs>